Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning again. We're doing this series, um, it's taken us a few weeks, still have a few more messages to go, uh, talking about change, and really the title is, Will You Let God uh, Use You to Change Your World? And the uh, approach we're taking is to be challenged by uh, missionary stories from the past and Bible verses that are attached to their lives, and, and us seeing how God used them to change their world, and ask ourselves, are, are we going to let God do that in our lives? Uh, whatever sphere you live in, what your world is, uh, are you going to let God use you to bring about uh, change in the lives of others and in the world that you live in? Uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to be in Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 13. I'll be there in just a moment. And uh, what we're going to do as we go through there, uh, we're going to look at the, the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, kind of as I said last week, a lot of people in these missionary stories will look at the life of the Apostle Paul because he himself was a, a missionary going around Asia Minor, planting churches, spreading the gospel, and they'll look for correlations between the Apostle Paul and, and these other missionaries. So that um, happens quite often in this series to where someone will see something from Paul's life and then they'll see a similar characteristic over here in the life of, uh, of a missionary. Uh, today we're going to talk about David Brainerd. Uh, and, and originally... We would just talk about David Brainerd today, but as I put the sermon together and the content about David Brainerd and the text we're looking at, I just kind of came to the conclusion this past Thursday that I'm going to split the message in half. So we're going to deal with with half of it today, two points today, two points next week uh, under this same title as we talk about the life of David Brainerd and talking about following the pattern of Paul's gospel ministry. Uh, That's what Brainerd did. Uh, but guys, it's not just up to missionaries like David Brainerd. It's, it's for all of us to follow the pattern that God has uh, for ministry because we've all been called in ministry uh, in some form if you're a believer, if you know Christ as your Savior. And you'll, you'll see that uh, in a few moments as we get more into the passage of Scripture. Uh, I want to read verse 13 just to start with and ask you to join with me in honor of God's Word. Let's stand just for a minute as we read... <clears throat> This one verse, kind of as our, as our send-off, Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 13, the, the Bible says this, Paul is writing to young Timothy, who uh, is kind of Paul's, uh, someone that Paul is mentoring into, into the ministry himself, and he tells Timothy this, follow the pattern of the sound words, um, sound words talking about doctrine. I mean, that's something that John was just sharing about and, and how we need to be influenced by that. So he tells Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Because we need to be guided by sound doctrine. <laughs> but our sound doctrine that we practice needs to be practiced in faith and love. Because you can practice sound doctrine in a hateful way and just completely lose the opportunity to influence somebody else's life with the gospel. That's why it needs to be 
with faith and love that uh, that Paul talks about. And we'll see. Thank you. You can be seated. But we'll see that uh, there, there's a pattern in Paul's life that we'll be looking at this week and uh, next week found in these verses. And it's a pattern that uh, David Brainerd seemed to follow in, in his own life. And as we walk through those verses, um, not all of it today, as I said, we'll finish it next week. But as we walk through those verses, we're going to see how uh, Paul and, and Brainerd both were called to a, to a holy calling. They were called to serve God. They weren't ashamed of the gospel. Both of them suffered for Christ. Paul, of course, suffered for Christ. The Bible tells us that in many instances. David Brainerd suffered for Christ. Brainerd died at the age of 29 years old. Uh, not because of martyrdom, like some of the missionaries uh, died being killed for their faith, being uh, killed as they were trying to serve Christ in foreign countries. Th- that's not what happened here. What happened here with David Brainerd's life is more or less he just burned his life out. He burned his life out. Now, they just left because of uh, Bethany. They must have got a call. So let's be sure we keep praying you know, for her with her, with her burned hands. But uh, uh, anyway, so, so Brainerd had a call from God, he felt, to go to the Indians in North America. And he so served for three years trying to reach those Indians that he more or less burned his life out. He, he more or less wore himself out. And he fought times of depression and discouragement, and he was afflicted with tuberculosis during that time, and eventually dies as a result of the tuberculosis. He could have put himself in a safer environment. He could have put himself in more of a guarded situation that maybe could have helped preserve his life and preserve his health. But he felt like he had a call from God to reach those Indians. And that's why he did so even at the expense of him losing his own life. We'll see that both Paul and Brainerd were influenced by Jesus. The text that we'll read through talks about how he abolished death and and Jesus brought spiritual life and immortality to sinful mankind through the gospel. That motivated Paul and Brainerd to be missionary representatives for Christ. Guys, whatever form you live your life in, whatever your vocation is, whether you're here in America just working what you think is a common job, Change the way you think about your life. Because wherever you are, you're called to be a missionary for Jesus. Whatever you're doing, you're called to be be missional for him. And we'll see that both in the life of of Brainerd. They were both willing to suffer. Even though they were not ashamed of Christ, they they suffered as a result of that. And, And we'll see this later on in the message. We'll see it more next week than this week. But the text that we're going through will tell us this. Paul said, I know who I believed in, and I'm convinced that Christ can keep me and everything that God's entrusted me till that day. What he's saying is this, and that's what Brainerd believed. That's why he so burned his life out sharing the gospel. Guys, if you know Christ as your Savior, the Bible teaches this. God can and will keep you until that day. He'll keep everything that's entrusted to you, whether it be ministry that he's entrusted to you and the influence of your ministry and the people that you lead to him. Jesus will keep that to the day that you're before him. We're going to look at four characteristics of gospel ministry that was in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I think that we can see in the life of David Brainerd. And these same characteristics we need to think about and apply to our own lives because all of us need to be involved in ministry. You may not 
be awakened to that in your spirit yet. Maybe you're unsure of that. But I'm, I'm not. I'm completely sure that the Bible tells me that every one of you that know Christ as your Savior, you've got something to do for the kingdom of God. All of us should spread the gospel. All of us are underneath the Great Commission. So, so we need to be willing to, to share the gospel with others. And God's given us a call. So I want you to notice these four characteristics. Here's characteristic number one. Guys, I'm going to apologize up front. Uh, this congestion I've been dealing with for a few weeks is still bothering me, so you're going to have to put up with me and my, my water a little bit today. But it is, it is what it is. Uh, <clears throat> so pray for me that I'll be able to make it through with my voice today. Here's characteristic number one. Never be ashamed. Never be ashamed of Christ and his gospel. Never be ashamed <coughs> of Christ and his gospel. Look what I said in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. The the reason Paul says, nor of me, his prisoner, at this moment in time, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. He's sitting in a dungeon that was dark and filthy, and, and most of the people that went into that prison would either go mad or die or both. Many people going to that prison would die there because of the conditions that existed. Most of the people that went in there were put in there as prisoners of the Roman government, and they would either die there or they would be executed, one of the two. So Paul is there in prison at the time he writes this letter. It's not his first imprisonment. He had been in prison before for the gospel's sake, but this would be his last imprisonment. This would be the last letter that the apostle Paul would write. So it's kind of like a summary of his life and his ministry as he writes to Timothy, encouraging Timothy to be a good, faithful minister himself. Tradition tells us this, not the Bible, but tradition tells us that the Apostle Paul lost his life by being executed. Rather than deny Christ, tradition tells us that he was beheaded for the gospel's sake. You know one of the reasons I think that happened, that he was beheaded? They put him in prison thinking, we've got Paul under control now. You know what Paul was doing in the prison? (laughs) Sharing the gospel. He was winning some of the guards that was watching over him to Jesus Tradition even tells us one of the guards that received Christ as their Savior because Paul came forward and was beheaded also after the Apostle Paul was beheaded. So they couldn't shut Paul up, put him in prison. It didn't matter. He's going to share the gospel. And he so served Jesus that he's willing to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. So he writes to Timothy and he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to break that down in two parts. First of all, do not be ashamed of Christ and his gospel. And the second, we're going to talk about not being ashamed of the servants of Christ. Because of what Paul writes here. He said, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. The word therefore, and if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this before. When you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to look and see why it is therefore. Because the word therefore points back to the previous verses. The word therefore points back to what Paul had just said. And some things that Paul had just written to Timothy are these. In verse 3, the apostle Paul told Timothy that he was praying for Timothy night and day. Now, don't let that slide through your mind too quick. Can you imagine being in Timothy's shoes and the apostle Paul writes you a letter and says, by the way, I'm praying for you night and day. Wouldn't that be an encouragement to receive a letter like that from Paul? 
Paul also, in verse number 5, says that, I, he, that he's remembering, he's memorializing Timothy's sincere faith. He had a heritage of faith through his mother and through his grandmother. Paul tells Timothy, in verse number 6, stir up the flame of the gift of God that was inside of Timothy. Now, freeze frame that just for a minute, because I want to be sure you apply that the right way. There are a lot of people in our day and time and have been for years that believe that every human being has this little divine spark inside of them and all they need to do is fan it just a little bit and the more you fan it, the more it's going to grow. It's like you've got deity already there and because of that, you can kind of grow it out yourself and, and earn your way to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. Timothy only had divinity in his life because he had trusted Christ as his Savior. All the divinity that I have in my life or that you have in your life is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you because you have trusted Christ as your Savior. It's not a little divine spark that you just fan. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, the faith that you have in Christ, you, you you need to... let that flame up. You need to encourage that in your life. You need to, to, to bring that forth all the, the more. Stir up that flame of the gift of God. And then finally, Paul reminds Timothy of this in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now remember what he just told Timothy in verse 8. He, he said, don't be ashamed. And he just told him that previous to saying, don't be ashamed. He said, hey, don't be afraid. Remember the power of God that's in you. Don't be afraid to stand for the gospel. Don't be afraid to stand for the testimony of Jesus. Remember the power of God that is in you. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So with that encouragement from the apostle Paul, Timothy now is charged by Paul, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The word shame means to feel shame. Guys, we're not to feel shame of the testimony of Jesus. The, the word testimony there means something that's evident. Something that, that, that is evident, that has evidence attached to it. And, and here, in this case, the word testimony is talking about the gospel. So he, he's really telling Timothy, hey, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel message. Don't be ashamed of, of what Jesus has done. Don't be ashamed of him. The reason he tells him that, in that day and time, a lot of people view Jesus still yet as, yeah, he was that guy that was arrested and nailed to a cross and they buried. That's the way a lot of people viewed him. Instead of recognizing who he was. He said, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him whatsoever. Don't be ashamed of the gospel message. The same apostle Paul tells us this about the gospel in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says it's the power of God to salvation. Think about that for a minute. Since the gospel is the power of God to salvation, why on earth would we ever be ashamed of it? Why in the world would we ever shrink back from the gospel or sharing the gospel or be ashamed of the gospel or be ashamed of Jesus when that very gospel is the power of of God to salvation. So why would we be ashamed? The gospel teaches that Jesus was nailed to the cross after he lived a sinless life. He shed his blood on that cross for our sins so that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. The gospel is he died on the cross and he took his life back up to give us all the evidence in the world that he had fully paid everything that's necessary for our salvation and for our forgiveness. Why be ashamed of that? 
Why be ashamed of the gospel? A quote from John Thornberry, bring David Brainerd into our message a little bit. John Thornberry, in his biography about David Brainerd, wrote this. Only eternity will reveal how many fires of evangelistic zeal have been lit by the perusal or the study of or the reading of the account of his, talking about David Brainerd's, his short but powerful life. Imagine that being written about you. Only eternity will reveal how many fires of evangelistic zeal have been lit by the life of David Brainerd. David Brainerd's life and story was used to inspire William Carey. And Adoniram Judson, people we've already talked about in this series. He predated them, not as a foreign missionary, but as a missionary in North America to try and reach those Indians there in the Northeast. And it's written about him, how, how his short and powerful life influenced many people. Guys, that's an amazing statement when you think about this. He only ministered to the Indians for three short years. And he died at the age of 29, as I've already mentioned. I remember somebody else that ministered for three years, don't you? <laughs> and we can understand that because he was divine. He was God in the flesh. But see, David Brainerd is like you and I. And even though David Brainerd is like you and I, God used him in such a way that he has inspired missionaries for years and years and years and years. He lived from 1718 to 1747. He was born in Connecticut. He was nine years old when his father died. He was 14 years old when his mother died. He had a lot of depression and discouragement that he wrestled with and loneliness that he wrestled with throughout his ministry, throughout his life. He was afflicted with tuberculosis, as I've already alluded to, during the time that he ministered to the Indians. But on the other side of his death, his journal and his diary was edited and published by a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. You ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Oh, man, I need to do more and more history lessons. You ever heard anyone say anything about a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God? That's probably considered the most powerful sermon that's ever been preached on North American soil. So powerful. And, and by the way, he read it in monotone manuscript as he shared it. But here's the power behind it. There were people in the basement of that church praying for him as he was preaching that message. And the power of God was so strong that people were holding on to the pews for fear of dropping into hell right then during the service. That was the power of that service. That's the guy that edited the journal and published it of David Brainer. Which, by the way, I won't get into it this week, but to give you a little bit fuller story, David Brainerd eventually goes into the home of Jonathan Edwards. He dies in the home of Jonathan Edwards. While he's there, Jonathan Edwards' 17-year-old daughter is ministering to him. They fall in love. They never get the chance to be married. And David Brainerd dies there in the home of Jonathan Edwards. And just a few short months later, she dies herself. Reuniting in heaven, I bet. Amen. I want to give you something about Brainerd's own testimony. 
He was converted to Christ at the age of 21. He came to the point in his life that he realized the only way to salvation was trusting completely in the righteousness of Christ and quit depending upon his own works or his own goodness. Here's his own words. The way of salvation opened to me with such infinite wisdom, suitableness, and excellency that I wondered I should ever think of any other way of salvation. No need to. Nothing else works. Amen? He said he was amazed that I had not dropped my own contrivances and complied with this lovely, blessed, and excellent way before. If I could have been saved by my own duties or any other way that I had formerly contrived, my whole soul would now refuse it. In other words, he said, if there was any other way, I wouldn't even want any other way. There's not any other way, so it's non-debatable anyway. But look what he says. My soul would now have refused it. I wonder that all the world did not see and comply with this way of salvation. Here's the way of salvation. Entirely by the righteousness of Christ. He said he wondered why the world of his day didn't get it. Hey, I wonder why the world of our day doesn't get it. The only way to salvation is not by works. It's not by your own goodness. It's not anything you can do or not do. It's all based in the finished work of Christ upon the cross, where he fully paid once and for all for our sins. And when we trust in him, God gives us the very righteousness of Jesus imputed to our account. The only way anyone can be saved, the only way anyone is going to heaven is through the righteousness of Christ. Regrettably, everybody doesn't get it. I'm not trying to be political, so I'm not going to call a name, but I was uh, looking at some news articles and everything yesterday, and I came across a politician that uh, is running for president. I'll give you that much of it. Uh, You can look at my Facebook if you want to see the rest of it. But uh, he made this statement to the New York Times. He was saying that because of uh, his work that he had done on uh, dietary rules and laws in the city where he served and because of the work that he had done on the cessation of smoking that's fine i, I agree with that it's bad for you and, and also for gun control taking guns uh, away from private citizens but here's his pretty much his exact quote you can see his exact quote by looking it up he said this he said if there is a god not there is a god but he said if there is a god I have earned my way to heaven because of those things that he had done. And he said, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be interviewed. I'm going to walk straight inside. And he more or less was saying, he said, it's not even close is the way he closed his quote. As though it's not even close whether I get in or not. I hope the Holy Spirit deals with him. I hope somebody tells him the gospel. I hope he believes the real gospel because he's going to be sadly, sadly awakened when he gets to heaven and he think he's walking in by his own virtue and by his own works because no one, no one, no one will enter heaven except by the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? No one will. And Brainerd, 
came to the point that he realized that in his life. And because of that glorious salvation that he experienced, he was never, ever ashamed of the gospel. And you and I should never, ever be ashamed of Christ and the gospel. But also, Paul says here to Timothy, and don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. So guys, we, we shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus, and we shouldn't be ashamed of his gospel. But, but also, I think, maybe the very reason we ought to celebrate missionaries and, and pastors that have gone before, like we're doing in this series with, with, with missionaries that have gone before, we ought to celebrate how God has used them. We, we shouldn't be ashamed of them. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about how God has used people. We, we ought to be thrilled to talk about the Apostle Paul and to talk about other missionaries like William Carey and, and, and like David Brainerd. We ought to be thrilled to talk about them. He said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, but he said, nor of me, his prisoner. And Paul was literally a prisoner. And he said, don't be ashamed of me because I'm here in prison right now. But I want you to notice how Paul alluded to his imprisonment. He didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Roman government. He didn't say, these Roman officials have grabbed me and they've thrown me into prison, although they had. He didn't say, I'm their prisoner. Paul said, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said, I have been shackled to Jesus. The word prisoner literally means that, to be shackled or or bound to. He's saying, I have been bound to Jesus. I have been taken captive by Jesus. You see, there's no reason to be ashamed of the gospel because we should not be ashamed of faithful servants that have gone before. Think about if we would maybe think of ourselves like Paul thinks of himself there, how radically that might help us as we live our lives. Paul is saying, I'm shackled to Jesus. He he said, I am bound to Jesus. What if you and I lived our lives like that? Wherever we go, whatever we do, we have in our mind that we're, we're bound to Jesus and he's right there. Now, I understand this doctrinally, but I'm just trying to give you a picture that you might can relate to. If you know Christ as your Savior, he's not right there. He's right here. Amen? And everywhere we go, we take him with us. But how much would it affect our mentality if everywhere we go, everything we say, if we would kind of tie to the fact of, I am bound to Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm being held captive to him. So characteristic number one is this, our, of our own ministries, of the ministry of our church. It ought to be this. We should never be ashamed of Christ and his gospel. Characteristic number two is found in verse 9 through 11. Verse 9 through 11. Characteristic number two is that we need to be fully convinced of our calling. You need to be fully convinced of your calling. Now, someone's going to think, well, preacher, I'm not called like you are. Maybe not, but you have a calling. Every Christian has a calling. May not be the same thing. May not be the calling that the Apostle Paul had or that David Brainerd had, but but we all have a calling. Look at verse 9 through 11. After he talks about not being ashamed of, of Christ, he says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, with which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began in which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, 
for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Paul had a clear call from God. I want to reinforce what I said a moment ago. Every Christian has a call from God upon their life. There are multiple verses that I could bring up before you, but look, look at 1 Peter 2, 5, and, and just let that stand for the fact that all of us have been called to ministry. Peter's writing this to believers. He said, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We're being built on Jesus, amen? He's a cornerstone, but we're being built up as a spiritual house. And then notice what he says. To be a holy priesthood. Do you see that? A holy priesthood. You might not view yourself as a priest, but I've got news for you. God views you as a priest if you're a Christian. He views you as his servant. He has things for you to do. He has called us to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, not burnt sacrifices, not animal sacrifices. Jesus finished that once and for all. But we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So I want you to notice we're going to finish up today by just talking about several elements of you and I being fully convinced of our calling from God found in those verses. To begin with, the motivation of your call. The motivation of your call. What should motivate us to to serve Jesus? Verse 9, the first part of it, Paul said, Who saved us and called us. That ought to be pretty clear. Why in the world should we serve Jesus? Why in the world should we answer the calling that we have? How about this? He saved you. (laughs) He saved me. He died. He suffered. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins. What more motive do we need to serve him in that knowledge of knowing he saved me and now he's called me? And we ought to respond to that call because of what he has has done for us. See, the question isn't whether you've been called. The question is, will you respond to the call? Second element of us being called and being fully convinced of our calling that Paul addresses here is this, the, the type of your calling. The type of your calling. Paul said it's a, it's a holy calling, a holy calling that he has given us. That word holy means sacred, pure, set apart. And the word calling is an invitation. He's given us a, a, a holy calling. See, our calling is connected to God. Our, our calling is based upon his invitation. Paul had experienced an invitation from God on the, the road to Damascus. Stop and, and freeze frame that in your mind for a minute because we tend to forget about that part of Paul's life. Who did Paul used to be? He used to be Saul. What did he used to do? He used to persecute Christians. He was taking them to be murdered and, and to be in prison and things like that and thought he was doing God a favor as he was doing it. That's who Paul was. And yet Paul meets Jesus on that road to Damascus. And Paul has a divine calling upon his life. Evidently, Timothy had a divine calling upon his life because that's what Paul is addressing here. David Brainerd have a divine call upon his life. You and I have a, a set apart, a sacred call. God has set us apart to himself with the gospel and we need to be willing and ready to serve him because all of us in some form, we've been given a holy, sacred, set-apart invitation from God to serve Him. 
The third element of you and I being convinced of our calling is this. We need to understand the reason for our calling. Why, why did God call us? We saw the motivation of it and in, in the type of the calling, but, but why in the world would, would God call us? We'll look at the last part of verse 9. He says, a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You see the reason for your calling? Not you. It's not me. I felt God dealing with my heart as a child after my dad died, but I, I tried to run from it, tried to push it on. I didn't ever surrender to the gospel as a pastor, to be a pastor until I was 28 years old. But even though God called me, I can promise you this. God did not look down when I was a kid and look down there when he was starting to try to deal with my heart about ministry. He didn't look down and, and see Lynn Parsons and say, well, that, 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 that's a pretty good-looking kid. I think I'm going to use him in ministry. He... He knew me better than I knew myself. He knew in advance every bad choice I'd ever make in my life. He, he knew up front, even after I trusted him as my Savior at 11 years old, that I would stray all through high school and early adulthood until he, he turned things around in, in my life. He didn't call me because I deserved to be called. He didn't call me because of my goodness. He didn't call me because of works. And neither has he called you because of that. He doesn't call us because of who we are or because of our works. Paul said it's not because of works. But here's the reason God calls us. But because of his own purposes and grace. God didn't call you because you deserved it. God called you by his grace. By his unmerited favor, God decided in eternity past, I'm going to call you to myself. I'm going to draw you to myself. God decided by his grace to call you, to draw you to him. He gave you an invitation to trust in Christ. He, he drawed you toward himself because of his own purposes. He didn't do it just so you can go live your life for your purposes. He called you by his grace for his purposes. Guys, once we trust Christ as our Savior, it's not for us to go out and live our lives however we want to and ignore God and ignore the Scriptures and ignore the call He has upon our lives. He's called us to His purpose. Not my purpose, not your purpose, but His eternal divine purposes. That's the call that He's given us. And this is what blows people's mind <clears throat> a lot of times. Paul also said there, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. You see that? Before the ages began. Jesus wasn't a second thought or an afterthought. It was always God's plan that he would come and die. But that also teaches this, that God saw the apostle Paul and God saw Timothy, because he's writing this to Timothy. And God saw David Brainerd. And God saw you. In eternity past. A lot of people choke on this a little bit spiritually. Because people want to so uphold free will. 
that they ignore the sovereignty of God. And some people, especially Baptist background people like us, they uh, they they, they kind of want to, they're scared of election almost. Guys, you don't need to be scared of election. Here's why. The Bible does teach free will. But the Bible also teaches there's a sovereign God in heaven. And I would rather my God be an all-knowing God. Amen? Who knew in eternity past that I would be saved. Who knew in eternity past that I'd be standing here right now. Who knew in eternity past that you would be saved. He knew in eternity past that he'd meet Paul on the road to Damascus and that he'd call him. He knew in eternity past that he'd call Timothy to ministry and David Brainerd to ministry because God is an all-knowing God. I want a God that knows everything, don't you? Amen? So, so let that be factored into this thing of election. Don't run from election. Don't apologize for election. Thank God you have an all-knowing God. Amen? Who looked down through time and he saw you and he saw Paul, and, and he saw David Brainerd, and he saw Timothy, and he saw me, and, and, and he's given us a call. But guys, the call is for his purposes, not ours. Can I ask you a question? Are you living for God's purposes right now in your life? The last thing about being fully convinced of our calling this morning, the last element of these verses is verse 10 and 11. And I think that talks about the legacy of your calling. Verse 10, in which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Now, I want you to look at that close. That's the legacy of your calling. That's the legacy of my calling. Our legacy is completely, totally bound to Jesus. It's tied to Jesus. For Paul and for us, it's tied to Jesus. You see, he talks about Jesus appearing, and he did. God had promised he would send the Messiah, and he did that. God became flesh. Jesus came into this world, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus came into this world, and he went to the cross, And upon the cross, he bore my sin and your sin and the sins of mankind as he died there upon the cross. So we are connected to what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a legacy that we have. We have a legacy that's fully bound to Christ. We have the legacy attached to his incarnation. We have a legacy attached to his sinless life. We have a legacy attached to his sacrificial death on the cross in his resurrection from the dead. It it is through Christ and him alone that we have the legacy of life and immortality. And with Paul, we've been appointed, guys, to be preachers and apostles and teachers. Oh, maybe in a different way. But we all have a calling. Did you notice that he said this? It said that Jesus who abolished death brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Maybe think about it like this. Spiritual life and immortality are spotlighted by the gospel of Christ. (laughs) If you don't know how to have spiritual life, to have eternal life, look at Jesus because God shines a spotlight on Jesus and a spotlight on the cross of Jesus. And that's how you receive everlasting life. All of us have been called to fulfill the Great Commission. 
All of us have been called to disciple, to make disciples and teach others. How would you act, since we're talking about our legacy, how would you act if you had a legacy to where you were attached to some billionaire? And that was part of your heritage. Like your grandpa was a billionaire or your daddy was a billionaire. Would you tell anybody about it? Huh? Somebody's thinking, oh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because somebody will borrow money from me if they found that out. <laughs> but honestly, probably wouldn't you let the cat out of the bag a little bit, you know? Hey, my dad's a billionaire. That's our old stinking human nature, isn't it? Let that cat out of the bag a little bit. I got news for you. Your dad is more than a millionaire. He's a king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He's the one that loved you supremely enough to send his son to die on the cross for you. Your legacy is that he's coming back one day. To set up his kingdom, to rule and reign forever. Your legacy is an everlasting legacy attached to Jesus. Not attached to you, not attached to who you are. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. It's all by you admitting that you are messed up, you're a sinner, and trusting completely in the finished work of Jesus. We've got a a grand legacy. David Brainerd was convinced by that legacy of Jesus that prompted him to write this to his brother. January 2nd, 1744. We should always look upon ourselves as God's servants. Think about that. That's the way we want to view ourselves always. We should always look upon ourselves as God's servants, placed in God's world to do His work and accordingly labor faithfully for Him. Let it then be your great concern Thus to devote yourself and your all to God. David Brainerd was greatly influenced by commencement message that Jonathan Edwards brought at Yale University. Brainerd was a student there. And Jonathan Edwards preached a message entitled, The Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Holy Spirit. And that really grabbed David Brainerd's life in his heart. After that message, he was thinking about the distinguishing marks of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he was looking for those marks in his own life, and he was looking for those marks in the life of someone else. And he had a professor there at Yale that he said, I don't think he's got a bit of grace in him. (laughs) And he was overheard saying that. And he got expelled from Yale University. Oh, he was also in a little bit of trouble because he was fellowshipping with some of the people that were involved in the first great awakening in America. To me, that sounds like a people I'd want to hang with. Amen? The first great revival is what it means in America. And he got expelled. Jonathan Edwards tried to to get him reinstated and, and and they wouldn't reinstate him. A lot of people would have gave up. And forgot about a call to ministry. Well, maybe it wasn't a real call to ministry. After all, now I've been kicked out of Yale University. I've been been kicked out of school. I'll just have to give up. But that wasn't in David Brainerd's mindset or in his heart. 
It didn't matter that he'd been kicked out. He still knew he had a call from God to go and reach those Indians in North America. And for three years, he went from tribe to tribe, facing discouragement and hardships, sleeping on hay, sleeping in a teepee. <laughs> At one point, he was staying with a, with a Scottish man in a, in a house close to where the Indians lived. He even kind of complained about it one time. He said, I don't ever get to speak to anyone I can understand. It's either the Indians I'm talking to or this guy with his Scottish brogue, and I can't understand what he's saying. That's for you, Kevin. But my point is, as we get ready to close, is that he, he knew that God had called him, and through his suffering and discouragement, he was even facing a time of great discouragement and depression. And when his tuberculosis was really bad while he was out in the wilderness, and he received an invitation to become a pastor of a church in East Hampton, Long Island. Think about that. You're sleeping on hay in a wigwam. You're discouraged, you're depressed. Your tuberculosis is about to kill you. So it may be a good time to leave the wilderness and go to this prestigious church in Long Island, didn't it? David Brainerd said no. Because he knew he was called to reach the Indians in North America. We'll finish his story next week. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, forgive us when we act like we're ashamed of the gospel, when we're so worried about what someone else might think that we try and hide the testimony of Christ in our own lives. Father, I pray for believers here this morning that they would leave from this place and be challenged by the life of David Brainerd, be challenged by the words of the Apostle Paul, by your words, be challenged by these other missionaries we're studying and help us to go out from here and not be ashamed of Christ and not be ashamed of the gospel. Help all of us to recognize that every one of us have some type of call from you. You've called every Christian to ministry. And Father, help all of us to find out what that is and get busy doing it. Father, I also pray for anyone here that may not know Christ. Maybe there's someone here that's trying to depend upon their own goodness and their own works. That's not what will get them into heaven. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear. Your Holy Spirit inspired him to make it abundantly clear in his writings. That it's not of works because we'd boast. It's not of our goodness because none are good. There's not anything we can do to earn our way to heaven. Our only hope, our only chance is completely tied to the righteousness of Jesus. To where we trust Him. We believe that He died for us. And that He took His life back up to prove He had fully paid our sin debt. Father, if there's anyone here that's never trusted Christ, this morning we pray you draw them to yourself. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day 
in your life.